Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome to season two, episode three of Man Buns and Jesus. Uh, Jesus and Man Buns, Man Buns and Jesus, as our theme song now declares. Uh, I am Pastor Ben Olschlager here in Lake Orion, Michigan. That is, well, depending on if I'm pointing the right direction or not, Pastor Josh Laborious, Edgewater Lutheran Church, Eastvale, California. and Josh, we have a very special guest today. Uh, well, it's special to you. So yeah, what are, yeah. What are we What are we doing today, and who are we talking to? Um, for those of you who are watching, um, you see the name labels. You see who we have with us. But for those of you who are listening, which is most of you, um, today we're talking with my dad, uh, Pete Laborious. Do you, Do you go by Pastor Pete now, or, or do you still just do Pete? Only for people who feel obliged to use titles. Okay. I'll be calling him dad through the and podcast. And on emails where I'm threatening people. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, In that so case, you this... should go with Pistol Pete. I can't shoot. <laughs> I, I follow. That's my basketball term. Follow. Um, this, uh, and I'm going to be really upfront because our topic for today is youth ministry. And... <clears throat> I, there is no one in the world that I respect more highly when it comes to youth ministry than my dad, which obviously there's some bias there, right? He's my dad, but um, if I have any questions about youth ministry, about stuff related, actually just ministry in general, he and my mom, um, they are my first call and uh, I, I really appreciate his input. And I, I genuinely believe he's one of the best. You know, we were talking before we started recording, but you see on the wall behind him, all those picture frames are groups of high schoolers that he's taken on mission trips and, and youth gatherings. Um, and I personally know a lot of people whose lifelong faith has been profoundly impacted by the ministry that he does. So um, that's that's who we're talking to today. And uh, and. Uh, we're going to kick it off to you, Dad. When, when youth ministry as a topic comes up, uh, what are some things you think are really important for people to kind of think of? What are some pet peeves? Um, this, what do you think a of? Lot, this is a lot off the bat, Josh. Let's let's start with what. Give us give us your credentials first. I know Josh <laughs> gave us some, but like, why wait, my respect isn't enough. My respect <laughs> no. isn't enough for you, Ben. <laughs> How dare you? I was going to comment on that, but for <laughs> limited um, while I am a pastor now, uh, prior to getting ordained a couple, three years ago, I had served as a director of Christian education, focusing primarily on youth ministry. Um, back in the day, uh, success of youth ministry tended to be measured by retention rate. That meant how many of the kids that you confirmed continue to stay actively involved until they graduated. Um, Christian church-wise, 
that number is not good. Um, it ranges anywhere from 16 to upper 20s percentage wise. Um, ministry wise throughout the, if we just look at the last 10 to 15 years, our, the youth ministry program I'm blessed to be part of um, has a retention rate of somewhere between 75 and 80%. Um, so on, on that standard, I have some credibility. I know how to equip youth and get them to take ownership of ministry. Um, in recent years, uh, new criterion has been put out with regards to outreach and aspects like that. Post-COVID numbers are post-COVID numbers. We, we all are trying to figure that stuff out. But pre-COVID, we, we averaged, um, based on what our membership was, we would average each one of our members bringing at least two first-time visitors a year and increasing our group by about 10 to 15 percent with with outreach not transfer from other churches but literally kids learning about Jesus Christ and coming to the Christian faith through the gospel so on those two criterions we have um, pretty high success rates is that kind of what you were talking about Ben with what are my credentials yeah, you need to know the the Concordia that I graduated <laughs> from to see this culture. Um, hey, you're the only Concordia grad in the room. You True. guys graduated from Concordia Sem. Right, right. But when people say Concordia, that's not what they mean. Anyway, um, so I, I think that actually gives us a good starting point, and I think. There's a piece of what you just talked about that um, I see getting dropped a lot in in youth ministry, and that's the whole outreach component of ministry of youth ministry. Um, it, it seems like so much of youth ministry is focused on like entertaining kids. Um, so, I guess the the question out of that is one: um, How do you avoid having that be like the only piece of your youth ministry um and two is it a helpful piece of your youth ministry um or is it something that you tend to avoid more for the sake of of building in different areas um i would say probably one of the central things to have the ministry be successful is a clear purpose for why you are bothering to do it. And uh, really frequently churches don't have a clear purpose except for we need to do something with our kids. Well, if you need to do something with your kids, you're gonna seek to entertain them because we are in a consumer culture and people are gonna seek to do that. But as you entertain them, you go down a really slippery slope that you are creating generations of consumers, not generations of servants so so that was that that's one thing to consider as you go into this when as i left my first call um i came to the conclusion that the way i was doing youth ministry i could not continue to do ministry lifelong in that function because um an activity-based ministry just i didn't see it as really furthering the kingdom for, for multiple reasons. And, and that's when I was blessed to stumble across the concept of, of 
leadership development and making the youth ministry actually the ownership of the high school youth that are participating in it, changing them from consumers to leaders and giving them ownership and responsibility in those areas. So it, it really is going to hinge on what your focus is and who's providing that focus. I realize a lot of congregations have volunteer people uh, coordinating the youth ministry. Well, um, to be really kind of bold and uh, a little maybe accusing of folks, your ladies Bible study that meets during the week, if they have a bad teacher or a bad class, most of them are not going to struggle with their Christian faith and walk away. Yet your middle school and high school kids who are at the most vulnerable and at the most formative, we throw really inexperienced and oftentimes spiritually mature people in those positions of leadership. And then we wonder why our kids aren't maturing spiritually or, or growing. So the, the pastor needs to shift a little bit and realize that even though you may need volunteers to help coordinate the different aspects of ministry, you need to be a spiritual mentor in, in, in the ministry to youth, not the activity program to youth, but you need to be spiritual, um, be spiritually involved in that formation. With regards to the activities, you need to do activities that support what you're trying to do. So we have retreats that are a lot of fun, but there's also a lot of Bible study and worship. Um, we have service projects that are fun, but there's also spiritual dimension as well as the service dimension. Um, we do recreation. I like playing. I like games. I can't do as many high contact games as we used to because culture has changed and open field tackles and youth ministry insurance are <laughs> not so good anymore. I actually wanted so, to know whether or not you still play British Bulldog. No, haven't played it since... Well, probably haven't played it in five years, maybe six. Your um, insurance company probably appreciates that. Yeah, they probably do. Um, so, so playing is part of that because that is where you build the relationships that allows you to have the conversations. If all you do is teach at youth, it, you're not going to be doing ministry with them. But if you take time to play, take time to eat, take time to laugh, then when it comes time to teach, you have an open door to build that relationship and help them build faith. Um, so a couple of things, like as you're going through and talking about these things, I, I have a couple, I guess, questions. They're, they're the kind of questions I, I hate in because it's, I have something that I've heard and I want to, I want to hear your take on it. And the first is going back, um, your semi-accusatory statement that I, I think probably could be even stronger and it would still be fair on pastors kind of handing off youth ministry to people who aren't as qualified as they should be to do it. Um, and I, I was reading a book on the, like the, the neuroscience of discipleship. And one of his complaints was we, we section off the church. You know, we have our young adults, we have our youth, we have our middle schoolers, we have our adults, we have our old people group. Um, and he's like, there's a huge problem with that because one of the, the best ways you learn 
and, and grow in your faith is by being in contact with people who are different generations than you, who have been through different things. Um, and in, in that way, I guess my question, why do we, and, and why, why do pastors, especially, why do we treat youth ministry like it's completely separate from everything else? Like, from my perspective, you know, the youth are, there are members of the congregation like everybody else that you should be ministering to. But I don't think that's the common perspective. And, and I want to know, like, why, why is that? Why, why are we willing to do that to the youth? There's some discussions I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, and it has to do a lot of times with life experiences of the pastors prior and a lack of comfort with the teen culture. Um, but what what I will say is effective youth ministry does kind of create a sub congregation of the youth where they see what the body of Christ is supposed to be like, and they do the various functions of the church. They, they experience worship, they grow in discipleship, they experience fellowship, they experience service. Um, they, they experience all those aspects that the greater congregation has. And because their life situation is similar, we tend to group with people with similar interests. Um, in small group ministry, we call it affinity groups. Um, you you get together with people that you connect with and understand. The problem is when we isolate those affinity groups from other members of the congregation. Many well-meaning churches have really strong youth ministry programs that after graduation, and we experienced this in Mount Calvary, after graduation, when they were no longer under the director of Christian education or youth minister, you had this huge drop-off. Well, that's because for five, six, seven years, these youth have had a significant relationship with the spiritual leader of the youth ministry program, and that person they don't see in, in worship on Sunday mornings. One of the things that we have changed at Mount Calvary is it's not just one member of the ministry team doing youth ministry. We are all involved in the spiritual nurture of both middle school and high school as they go throughout. So whether it is me preaching on Sunday or Pastor Howe, um, they have a relationship with the person who is the pastor up front. And that is, we started making some of those changes a couple years back. And just in the response that we are now having within the young adult category, that group has really blossomed because they have those relationships across the board. We also do a lot to connect our teens with the other age groups within the church, whether it's through prayer sponsors or through meals or through service activities with them. We build those relationships so they get to know the other members of the congregation as people, not as demographics, but as people. Um, not to dominate, Ben, so go ahead and cut me off if you want, but something that you're bringing up again and again and again is the relationships. And it makes me think about how well you connect with youth still. And I want you to remember, I started off by introducing him, saying how much I respect him. Prefacing my, this comment with that. Um, Dad, you are not super cool. No. And you never try to identify as I'm cool. I'm also not the nicest person in the world. 
right. I, I'm not a nice person. And I can I can tell you guys, um, he's never worn skinny jeans. He's never really been into fads. My dad, I don't know if you've posted on social media since the last time one of us graduated from something. Um, so for a lot of these things that we say, well, not a youth minister. I, I post on the youth Facebook stuff. Right. Pictures all the time. Um, but all, all these things that we say, you know, you want a hip, cool youth guy. You don't. But the relationships, the connections you have with the kids are are incredible. And the ministry you do is incredible. So can you speak a little bit to like maybe the dangers of, of trying to be a kid in order to try and connect with youth? Kids have lots of friends. Yeah, that's not really what doing youth ministry is about. Doing youth ministry is about being a man or woman of God who cares about the kids you're working with and helping them to grow in their faith. Um, I think there's also a need for sincerity. Um, I don't try to be something I'm not because especially middle school youth, they're learning to see the world in a new way. And they're, they're noticing if what you say in one place is not consistent with someplace else. Um, so that sincerity helps. But when you take time to care about someone, you build a relationship in which you can do ministry from. Um, and that is just really key. And if you are comfortable with who God has made you to be, you help youth then become comfortable with who God has made them to be. Um, it all flows out of that ability to do relationship and be in relationship with folks. Um, there was a year when way, 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 way. We get it, you're back, old. Further back than the wall of pictures goes when I was in high school and I went to a church that had a Lutheran school attached. Um, most of the high school kids had been through Lutheran grade school and Lutheran high school. And to say we were hard on Bible class teachers would be an understatement. There was one year my class went through 10 teachers. They ran away. And we finally got this guy, he came in and he sounded like um, the guy from Fe Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He was monotone. There was very little expression in, in his voice. Um, Pete Gorilovich was his name. Um, he didn't know the Bible really well either, but he cared about us and he loved us and he treated us with respect and he treated us like people. And uh, I know he continued to teach even after I graduated and moved on, he still continued to teach. And once again, not because he was a great teacher, he was a person that cared. And because of that, he got much better response and kids started coming back to Bible class because there was a teacher that actually cared about them and didn't talk at them, but talked with them. On the inverse side, um, during that year where we went through a lot of people, we had a deaconess intern who informed us if we did not like her class, we did not have to come. So the next week we didn't, we went for donuts and we got called to the superintendent's office because we had made her cry. Um, I'd like to say I'm sorry for making her cry, but really 
still not sorry, um, learned a huge thing. I am there to help. I am there to feed. I'm there to connect. I'm there to manage situations. But the ministry has to be the ministry of the youth. They have to own it or it's never really going to take off. I think that's about it. You look like you have something brewing, Ben. It's yeah, it's brewing, but it's slow. Uh, this is we're lager fermenting this. It's non-nail. Um, I, I don't know what half those words mean. Okay, um, the any hardcore beer nuts in this uh, listenership might get that reference, but um, <laughs> so owner, you you talked a lot about how giving the youth a sense of ownership of of this ministry specifically can be an incredibly impactful way to help uh, develop some of those relationships, develop those connections, and really strengthen the, the group itself. Um, and you also mentioned how you like to have the different ministry leaders in the church cycle through to um, connect the, the youth ministry to the, the church as a whole. Um, I remember that one of the most impactful things that I was able to do as a high schooler and my home congregation had a, a I think probably uh, an ordinary uh, policy on this. Once we were confirmed, we were voting members. So as a freshman in high school, um, my still developing brain was allowed to vote in church matters. Um, and I remember that being like, an incredibly impactful thing for me because I was able to be a part of the the vote that decided who our next DCE was because we were uh, in between at the time. Um, what are some other ways that as pastors, as lay people, um, to anyone who might be listening to this podcast, that we can work on engaging our youth in the life of the church um, and encouraging them to be a part of the life of the broader church? Um, so that we don't have that, that kind of sectioning off that you have mentioned happens quite frequently. You're going to hear this a lot from me. You have to develop a relationship with them so you know what they like doing. Um, we, get, we get older members, because the youth have done this before, they should still be doing it. Um, well, it's not the same youth. I have a completely different group every three years, basically. Um, and one year, I might have a bunch of youth that are really compassionate, caring, nurturing people, and they want to be heavily involved in doing ministry with our elementary kids and, and working with children. So when, they're, when that group is going through, because they determine where they're going to serve, how they're going to give back to the church, um, because when we do service, we do service within the congregation and then also service within the community. Um, so they determine what kind of service they're going to do. We've had groups that are very musical. Well, those groups get involved in, in using their musical arts within worship and enhancing worship for the congregation. We've had groups that like making stuff. They also like breaking stuff. It kind of goes hand in hand. If, you, if you're going to build something, you get to bust something too. 
and busting it actually is pretty fun as well. And those groups will use their gifts to create things for the congregation. You have to know what your, your group's passions are. And to know that, once again, you need a relationship with them so you can hear where their gifts and abilities. Um, we had to, just this past Easter, half of our, well, we didn't have a huge orchestra. I think we had like nine instrumentalists. Half of them were middle school and high school youth because we encouraged them to use their gifts and their passions to, to be involved in service. We don't say this is the cookie cutter youth ministry that we do. We have to do these activities. No, we, we don't have to. Some years we might do 10, 10 elementary activities because that's where the gifts are of that group. Some year we might only do one or two. Um, once again, know your kids so you know what, what is going to suit them best. Along those lines, also equipping them so that they can discover what they like doing. Um, on our mission trips, which we do two out of the three summers with, within the National Youth Gathering schedule, we make sure we have a variety of types of service we do. We have some manual labor, we have some human care, we have clerical, we have food preparation, things like that, so that the youth can discover you know, what is, what, what way of serving gives them joy? And then they can better understand how they are equipped. In addition to equipping them to know what their joys are, we equip them, how do you study? How do you lead? And, and we give them tools. Now, I will be honest. Um, my first um, graduate degree was in organization development and leadership development and things like that are really kind of where my heart is and equipping folks. Not everybody has that ability to equip and lift up. Um, that's where, that's who I'm called to be. So that's how I use my gifts in equipping other people. We kind of show them how to lead Bible studies and we, we rely on juniors and seniors teaching freshmen and sophomore. This is how we, we spend our Jesus time. This is how we explore God's word. And they really take ownership, not just of the ministry, but of their own spiritual growth and development, because they see it as a process where as they were equipped, they're now called to equip. And it's a really positive circle that it generates. Well, and a testimonial to that, um, I still remember it was it was my the summer after my freshman year of high school that um, because of kind of the, those lessons in, on on a mission trip, that's what started me in the habit of working through the Bible in a year every year. And because of that, I've been through it 10, 11 times at this point. And um, and it started with that. Uh, the same thing with with Bible studies for for anyone in my congregation you've seen a lot of the Bible studies I write for small groups and, and stuff like that. <laughs> they all look very, very similar to the stuff that that my dad does with with youth because that's that's my first study I think my junior year you let me write a study on transformers for us to go through so. <laughs> yeah i've looked back, it was not a good one. <laughs> You don't have to wave your hand. It was hand. a good first effort. It was a good first effort. 
Well, that's very generous. Yeah, with the cooking <laughs> show, I would say the concept was good. <laughs> but, but it tasted like burnt garbage. Oh, um, it, was, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> um, <sighs> so to kind of pivot but, a little bit. But uh, before you pivot, to go back to that, we still used it. Mm -hmm. Because we grow by being allowed to experience things. And if we don't give kids the opportunity to try and fail, if we're always telling them, oh, that's, well, we got to rewrite this. What are we telling them? We're communicating, you're not good enough, don't do it. Whereas if we say, go for it, it's yours. Um, it's not going to be the end of the world. In fact, we learn more when we don't do it perfectly than when we do do it perfectly. So take those opportunities to lift people up and give them those opportunities to at least try. I now feel, you're I almost feel bad about doing that because that's such like an uplifting motivational kind of statement. And the direction I wanted to go next was, what are some pet peeves you have with youth ministry? Like what, what are some things awesome. that you see and they just drive you nuts? The use of the word awesome. <laughs> it's, it's somebody who's aging, trying to grasp at coolness. Whatever you had for dinner last night, I guarantee was not awesome. Okay, if you do a continuum, horrible, wretched, nastiness, um, hell and eternal torment. That's at one end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum, that is awesome is, in spite of our sinfulness, Jesus died for us so that we can be restored in a relationship with Christ. That is awesome. God's grace is awesome. What you had for dinner is mediocre at best. Let us not diminish the English language by using superlatives. They greatly over-exaggerate what's going on, okay? <laughs> I, I believe the society I wanted to start was the Nawesome Society. Those of us who are nauseous by the overuse of the word awesome. Get a thesaurus. There's like 30 other words you can <laughs> I'm just imagining a room full of, of moderately curmudgeonly old men muttering to themselves about how dumb the word awesome is. Or how, how misused. How it misused. is a great word when you are describing God's grace that he has shown us. Your pasta dish? No. Okay. Maybe even scrumptilicious. That would be okay. It's not awesome. All right. <laughs> he doesn't even know where to go after that. I, I, I was not expecting that at all. I was, yeah, not, that wasn't even in the ballpark of what I thought. Oh, you mean gonna... professionally, like youth ministry wise? Yeah, that's that's um, actually what I meant. But you know what? I'm glad. I'm so, glad we did. So here's that some things too. that that I wouldn't do. If somebody needs spiritual or emotional healing, youth ministry is not the place where you should go to do that. Okay experience that use the church yes the church is there for spiritual you're saying healing. if an adult needs that but if an adult needs spiritual emotional healing 
They should not be in youth ministry. Youth ministry is not an opportunity for adults who had less than triumphant teenage years to try to get it better. Um, and, and a lot of times churches aren't paying attention to, to that risk. And, and that often leads, when you have somebody that is volunteering in youth ministry to fulfill an emotional need, um, the gospel gets compromised fairly frequently because their emotional need is higher than proclaiming the gospel. Um, I'm also not particularly fond of yellers. If that is the best tool you have for gaining control of a group, um, your tool bag, need, I need to give you more tools before you're in a leadership role with the youth. Um, Joshua can attest, I like our youth, the youth groups I work with to have short one syllable names. So when I need everybody's attention, I just say that short name and, and, and they turn and they pay attention. And then when we're at work sites on mission trips and things like that, whoever is running the work site knows the name of the youth group. They just have to say it and they have the kids attention. Um, so trying to think if there's any other really big pet peeves. I have a lot of OCD issues, but that doesn't have anything to do with youth ministry. I just like things in straight lines. This you know. is a, a total side note, but I know how much you'll appreciate this. The space we worship in and we set up every week, they the tiles in the floor or the, the like laminate panels on the floor are in a grid that is used for us to lay out our chairs it's all laid out lined up with the grid so it's a beautiful thing <laughs> how about josh uh, i know that we are strongly opinionated uh what no what if we <laughs> what if we spitball some of our pet peeves and see where your dad lands on these okay <laughs> this one's gonna <laughs> this one might offend some of our friends that listen to this but Something that drives me nuts is is at the seminary, I, I would venture to guess over 75% of our classmates went into like the call process saying very strongly, like, I don't want to be a youth pastor. Which like I get because frankly, the seminary doesn't equip you to do that. A D, if, if you're looking for a youth pastor, a DCE, I think in, in most situations is probably going to serve you a lot better than a than a guy out of the seminary just because he's young doesn't mean he's equipped to to do youth ministry well um mm -hmm. but what frustrates me is i think that plays into this culture of when they get to their church they're totally hands off for youth ministry and what starts off as i don't want to be confused for a youth pastor becomes a practice and then you have, and, and I wonder how many pastors, the reason they're never involved with youth is because they started out really wanting to make sure they weren't a youth pastor. Mm. And that's something that drives me nuts because I think it, if you are a pastor of, of the church, it, you are responsible for, for forming connections with the youth. Um, especially if there's someone else in charge of the program, because it, it, they're part of the church too, right? 
And, and like, like dad was saying, um, when they're done with the youth ministry, when they graduate high school, you don't want to leave them totally hanging with, well, my spiritual mentor was the DCE and now, like now, who do I have? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's like, when, when you talk about youth ministry, that's something that drives me up a wall is, is talking to pastors who want nothing to do with it. Mm. So I wonder how the seminary would respond if a seminarian getting ready to go out on a call would say, I want nothing to do with elderly nursing home care. And I don't want to have to do funerals. <laughs> I, so I can actually attest to that. Don't make me care about old people or funerals. I have a feeling the seminary would not react well to that. Ben, did you experience some of this? So in a way, yes. Um, My experience over Vicarage, I mean, I'm 26 right now. I was 24 over Vicarage. Um, Still looked relatively young. I don't know if I still do, but um, I had a lot of people in that congregation who treated me like their grandchild more than a pastor in training, which I loved and appreciated a lot of that because it made me feel at home as part of that congregation. But at the same time, I felt like it limited my ability to do pastoral things. Um, And so coming into my first call, my request was send me to a place where there are young families and, and kids that I can interact with because they will more likely treat me as a pastor than an older congregation. Um, and, and the, the seminary's response was, uh, deal with it. <laughs> that sounds about right. And I feel like that's probably supposed to be our response to like, but if, uh, if a candidate going out says, I don't do youth, okay. They have, they have places for you if you don't do youth. And it just means technically, the way that it has been explained to me, um, you guys gen- graduating as, with your general pastor's certificate should be able to perform all the functions of the pastoral office. Mm-hmm. That includes, and don't tell me, the ladies' midweek Bible study is the hardest class to teach. No, midweek confirmation with middle schoolers. If you can teach middle schoolers after they have been in class all day and you can keep their attention for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, you are a good teacher because that is the single hardest class to teach because half of them don't want to be there. All of them are tired. But want to know something? As a pastor, that is part of your job. And if you're not good at it, that is something you got to practice because it's part of your job. It, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Howe, who's senior pastor here and in charge primarily of pastoral care, was on vacation. And we had a member that there was a possibility that she was going to pass away. Um, I don't, I'm not a funeral guy. But as a pastor, had she passed away, I, there's, you couldn't go to the family and say, sorry, can't do a funeral. That's not my gig. No, you're the pastor. You have to do that. Youth ministry is part of the pastoral responsibility to that congregation. 
And if you are not actively involved in the nurture of those children, you are failing your duty as the pastor of the congregation. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to play British Bulldog. You do not have to understand how the Marvel Universe works. You don't have to do all that, but you are responsible for making sure spiritual nurture happens. We wanna know why we've lost a generation in the church is because the church failed to really pastorally, spiritually mentor the children in their charge. And they left it to additional staff or volunteers to do. And then they were surprised that, oh, the kids don't have a connection to the church. They drifted away. Um, I think that actually kind of plays into my biggest pet peeve about youth ministry, because I think for me that my biggest pet peeve is oftentimes the fact that youth ministry, I don't, speaking down to them is maybe not the greatest phrasing of it, but I feel like that's where my brain is going. Um, like, the, I refer to it as speaking at versus talking with. I, I think there's like, that's part of where my head's going, but I think part of it is also just like, there is so much inclination in leadership of youth ministry to treat middle and high schoolers like they're six. Um, and I think that's like some of where you get that disconnect where kids don't get any mentorship because, you know, with a six-year-old on some level, you can teach them a little bit, but the majority of what you're trying to do is just keep them from, you know, running roughshod through whatever room you're in. Like once you get to middle and high school, you can start to work through with a person who understands complex reason. And yet we still fail that fail to do that in a lot of cases. Um, so what, did, where have you seen that? Or am I seeing that in, in isolation? In the, the I don't, experiences I don't think that I've had seen it in isolation. I think it's one of one of those things where because of insecurity with that age group, mm. we not we, because I'm not part of that pronoun. So they <laughs> <laughs> um they teach the facts kind of cold and distant. So for example, we are in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And because of the fear of the age group, they don't get into that in as much detail. But they teach you shall not commit adultery. So that's what the kids come out of the conversation. With. Whereas if you take the conversation to the level they're at, most middle school youth aren't to that point yet. They're going to get to that point somehow. But how do you make thou shall not commit adultery relevant to a middle schooler? Well, you say, uh, let's say you, you meet up with your girlfriend, and I have air quotes up for those of you just listening, um, and you're going to wander around the mall, and you're walking with your girlfriend, and uh, uh, 12 on a scale of 1 to 10 comes walking by, and going the other direction, what do you do? Or more importantly, ladies, if you're with a guy, and he turns and looks, or you change direction and follow what has that done to your relationship? Oh, and I'm that's how he home. died. I'm not going home. <laughs> exactly, you're not going home with him. Now, 
He didn't ask for <laughs> number. He didn't talk to her. He definitely didn't have adultery with her. But just that act of looking and following broke trust and broke your relationship. Now do you better understand that commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, now that commandment has a huge amount of application because it was put in terms that they would understand. Mm -hmm. Instead of just doing a cold clinical, you shall not commit adultery, we broke it down. Mm -hmm. and, and you can deal with all kinds of issues by saying, okay, how do I look at this? But a lot of times people are not comfortable when I was in middle school, how did I look at this? Oh, I don't want to think about how I looked at that when I was in middle school because I was messed up when I was in middle school. Yes, and so are they. So talk to their messed up place so that they can grow beyond that messed up place. Mm -hmm. um, so I got I got one last one last question. Um, and we're we're gonna say this was I'm almost an anonymous. Drink, but we got to finish up soon. <laughs> this is the last one, and and we're gonna say this was anonymously submitted because I don't want to get anyone in trouble for asking this did question. You this from mom, I did not. I did not. Okay. Um. And the question is simply, what is your view of the national youth gathering? And where is its place in youth ministry? How is it kind of kind of speak a little bit to that? Maybe how people view it or use it or or approach it poorly or well. First of all, I do not like crowds, and I do not like people touching me in crowds. So I'm never really super comfortable at the National Youth Gathering um because there's crowds that having been said um as a teen i never was given the opportunity to participate in the national youth gathering i do remember posters being up about them um but that was about the extent of it so national youth gatherings can be an amazing blessing to an overall youth ministry program just like confirmation is a blessing to a youth ministry program, but it is not a youth ministry program in and of itself. Same with a national youth gathering. Um, to be in worship with thousands of other Lutheran kids, especially given that, you know, I'm in the South. There's not a lot of Lutheran churches in Georgia. Um, I think totally we, we have fewer Lutheran churches in Georgia than Minneapolis has in Minneapolis. So um, not, not a lot of look around Lutheran identity. So experiencing those mass events with all those people in worship, um, both the highly liturgical service and, and the other mass events that are less liturgical but still very worshipful um, are, are really amazing opportunities for youth to participate in. Um, the problem comes into play when, when a church makes the national youth gathering the be all and end all of youth ministry, because it is not. Um, we go to the youth gathering for an amazing spiritual experience and to grow in fellowship as a group and within our national church body at large. Um, to that end, 
I have strong expectations for worship and Bible class attendance before the gathering, because if you truly want to grow in your relationship with God, that happens on a weekly, daily basis. It doesn't happen in a one-time injection at a national youth gathering. Um, the national youth gathering helps to build disciples, but the event in and of itself is only a few days once every three years. Um, it's a well, it's a well-run event. It's an amazing event to bring kids to. But if you are not nurturing them on a daily, weekly basis, what will very frequently happen is they'll go and have a great vacation and come back and there's no real change. Or even worse, they'll go and have a great experience and then question why every Sunday can't be like a mass event at the National Youth Gathering. And, and they now have kind of a warped view of what congregational life and congregational worship is. Congregational life is the body of Christ living together. We gather together in worship and celebration. And, and one of the things that I point out, and please musicians at the National Youth Gathering, do not take offense. But the gathering bands are not the greatest bands in the world. They're good musicians, they're talented people. But between practice times and sound system in a new place and all those things, it's not the greatest band in the world. Yet, it's an amazing experience. The speakers have good days, have bad day, days, have good speakers, have bad speakers. It's the word of God that the speakers are proclaiming within that environment of everybody wanting to hear God's word proclaimed. Imagine if we had that kind of attitude and excitement just going into Sunday morning worship or Sunday Bible study. So the gathering in itself is a great tool to use, but it should never be the height of your youth ministry. Uh, the relationships that you build with the youth and the word of God that is being proclaimed should be at the heart of the youth ministry. And the gathering is just one of many tools that you can use to build up the youth in your congregation. The anonymous person who asked that question, I think is going to really appreciate that answer. So, all right. Um, so, and, and as, as our listeners know, <laughs> we don't do a lot of prep for these. Uh, I don't know if I told you this dad, but how we close every episode is, is kind of just, if you could pick one takeaway of the whole conversation that you would want to kind of stick with listeners now that they're done. Um, what would that one takeaway be? And uh, I'll give you, because we didn't tell you, I'll give you a minute to think about that. I think if I were to pick one takeaway that as, as you are listening to this, I, I would want you to pull away is, is the foundational nature of relationships to youth ministry and, and the time that you, you have to spend to build those relationships because that's got to be at the core of what you're doing. Ben, dad, I was going to, I was going to let your dad go next. You took the easy one. Um, <laughs> I would probably say, um, you have to be clear with why you are doing youth ministry and then everything you do needs to point back to connecting people in their relationship with Jesus Christ 
and helping to build them in Christian community. We also focused on equipping them to live as disciples, um, but you really need to focus on those first two, connecting them faithfully to God through his word and connecting them in relationships. And interestingly enough, both of those focus on relationships. Both of those focus on the two tables of law. Both of those focus on Jesus's greatest commandments, okay? It's a consistent biblical theme and it needs to be consistent theme in youth ministry. And we need to stay focused on that and everything needs to point back to those two things. I think my final takeaway uh, is that youth ministry should not be a subsection of your church. Uh, it should be a piece of the body. And like every other aspect of the church, it should be all hands on deck. Um, so much of this conversation has been about how like good youth ministry connects youth to the life of the church, connects youth to their uh, future in the church, connects youth to growth with their pastor, with uh, older members of the congregation, with uh, their time in the word. Um, and so don't my takeaway is don't let youth ministry be just youth ministry um, and let it be a part of the life of the church as a whole. All right. So uh, kind of some closing prayer thoughts for, for those of you listening um, to add to your prayers today and, and going forward. Um, pray for the youth ministry at your church, whatever that may be. If you're at Edgewater, if you're at uh, Good Shepherd, if you're at uh, Mount Calvary, if I, I think we have a lot of listeners in Plattsmouth now. Um, <laughs> it's in Nebraska. Our, our last week, <laughs> we, we had Ryan Mazur as a guest, and I think his entire town listened to that podcast. Because <laughs> um, he's a great guy and they all love him. So uh, Pray for the youth ministry that's going on in your church and in the churches in your area that that it would be faithfully connecting kids to the gospel, connecting them to each other and connecting them to the church um, and and pray for people who are leading those ministries. Pray that your pastors get involved, but pray especially for whether it's a, a professional church worker uh, like a DCE or or a lay volunteer. Um, pray for them because it's not an easy thing to do. And um, it's also something that people are, are, I think, are very willing to complain about, um, but maybe less, less willing to be uplifting when, when that time is appropriate. So pray for them um, and their families. And uh, I think that's it. Uh, you got anything else? Anything to add? Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, as always, here come the shameless plugs. Uh, if you're looking for a church in, in Southern California, in the Eastvale area, check out Edgewater Lutheran. Uh, if you're looking for a church in, in Canada, I mean Lake, Lake Oregon, <laughs> um, Michigan, go ahead hey, and check out. it's 80 degrees out today. Whatever. Uh, Good Shepherd <laughs> with Pastor Ben Olschlager. If you're looking for a church in, in middle Georgia, check out Mount Calvary and uh, Go ahead and subscribe to us on whatever your podcasting platform of choices. We're on all of them except for Pandora because they're still reviewing us. It's been like six months and they don't know what we're anyway. Um, 
go ahead and subscribe because occasionally we drop we drop some things on there that we don't announce anywhere else. So uh, you get a little bit of extra content if you're subscribed on those platforms. So with all those shameless plugs being said, brothers and sisters, go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.